Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Uh, five, five ways to, to flourish, and this is week four, and we're talking about how do we eliminate noise in our life? How do we uh, turn off distractions? Babysitters is good. It's a really, really good way to do it. Uh, hot tubs. Some of us have hot tubs. Not me, other ones. But uh, right, we live in a world of distraction. Right? And, and more distraction than any of the, the New Testament or the Old Testament authors could have even imagined. Right? Amber and I were talking the other day. Um, and there's this news article, because I follow all the important news, and we, I, I saw this article that said that Christopher Walken has never had a computer or a cell phone. He's never been on social media. And we're like, wow, that's so interesting. And he said that, you know, he was just, he's 77, and so he just missed it, and he didn't want to get involved because he didn't want to, I think he said something like, I didn't want to do something that there was always somebody better than me at. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> You're such a good emailer. Man, the best emailer I know. And uh, he's like, a, in a cell phone, it's like, it's like a watch. If you need one, somebody's, somebody's got one. And they're like, well, we're not all like, he like made 200 movies in his career or something, you know. It's like, we don't all have a, assistants carrying cell phones around. But uh, so we were just talking about this. And, and Amber's like, what does he do with his time? Like, like this is a big, wherever my phone is, like this is a big part of our time, right? If you're standing in line at Starbucks, we're very rarely just kind of like, oh, this is a boring line, right? We're like, oh, I wonder what's happening in, in the world. There's so much distraction all around us. And this past week, uh, something really, really hard, uh, really challenging situation came up in Amber and I's uh, in, in our life, I guess, and uh, it was just really painful. And uh, so often we can pour ourselves into the busyness of life, right? Work or uh, you know social media or Netflix or Xbox Live, whatever it is. Like we can pour ourselves into it, and we can just kind of ignore that pain that is simmering beneath the surface. But when is it that the, those, we give opportunity for those things to, to bubble up? Is it even a good idea to allow those things to bubble up? And, but as we participate or as we practice the, the discipline of a, of a morning quiet time, right? When we actively choose to turn off our distractions and just to, to sit with our feelings and to, to sit with God, right? That is when this junk or this fear or this pain or this worry kind of bubbles back up to the top. And it's easy to want to shut it down, move on to the next thing. But what I'm going to try to encourage us today is that, man, it's actually really valuable to lean into the pain, to turn off the distractions, and to pay attention to what's going on in our hearts. As I was getting ready for work earlier this week, I was listening to a, a podcast called 
The Art of Pastoring. And it's the, the first time I'd ever listened to this podcast. It's put out by Christianity Today. And I saw an advertisement for it on my Facebook Live, or not Facebook Live, on my Facebook, and, and it had this, and this is what kind of like, and I need to listen to this, it says, um, The Art of Pastoring is a podcast for pastors, believe it or not. Um, and so it said, um, Many pastors are looking back at 2020 with a mixture of exhaustion and uncertainty. The combined financial, relational, and social pressures of the past year have led many to wonder about their futures in ministry, questioning whether it's time to move on to a different role, a different church, or even a different career. Those questions, like hard seasons themselves, are perfectly normal, and they're times God uses to continue his work in remaking us in Jesus' image. And once again, I will put a disclaimer. This is not a sermon which is secretly a cry for help. <laughs> right? We're all, like, this, uh, the 2020 was certainly hard for pastors, but it was hard for all of us. Right? And in this, in this podcast, one of the, the hosts said, I think for a lot of pastors, one of the best things they can do is just feel what they feel. Lean into this difficulty. And he went on to talk about uh, an anxiety attack he had earlier in the year and some advice that he got from people who struggle with anxiety, struggle uh, with anxiety attacks. And, and their advice to him was, when it happens, just let it happen. Don't fight it. And so as this advice was for pastors, I think it's for each and every one of us. I think for a lot of us, one of the best things that we can do is just feel what we feel and to lean into the difficulty. We need to lean into the pain, lean into the boredom, lean into the process of processing our emotions. Jesus said, right, in this world you will have trouble. So we're not surprised. We're not surprised when difficult and painful things happen. But the question for, for you and for me today is what are we going to do with our emotions? What are we going to do with that? And so for most of us, right, avoiding real feelings and thoughts is our strategy of choice. And we have a zillion ways to do that. Whether it's work, you know, workaholism is a real thing, right? And often... It's to numb the pain of life, right? Netflix, you know, I'm going to watch a fair amount of Netflix. <laughs> and you can use Netflix to numb the pain of what's actually going on. There's a, a, um, a study that I read this week as I was preparing for this message from the University of Virginia. And I'm just going to read... I was trying to think of how to sum it up, but I'm just going to read the first couple paragraphs of this study. Uh, so from the University of Virginia, most people are just not comfortable in their own heads, according to a new psychological investigation led by the University of Virginia. The investigation found that most would rather be doing something, possibly even hurting themselves, than doing nothing or sitting alone with their thoughts. 
In the series of 11 studies, uh, University of Virginia psychologist Timothy Wilson and colleagues at the Harvard University, it's probably not the Harvard, it's just Harvard University, they found that, uh, that study participants from a range of ages generally did not enjoy spending even brief periods of time from 6 to 15 minutes alone in a room with nothing to do but think, ponder, or daydream. The participants, by and large, enjoyed much more doing external activities, such as listening to music or using a smartphone. Some even preferred to give themselves mild electric shocks than to think. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I won't even lick like a 9-volt battery to see if it's good. I'm not interested, right? I can sit alone for six minutes. I'm not going to shock myself. But in this study, they're like, this is so uncomfortable I'd rather shock myself to give myself something else to focus on. Don't want to be alone in silent contemplation. Pete Scazzaro, um, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, said this. He says, we can't change, or better said, invite God to change us when we are unaware and do not see the truth. We're not willing to look at what is lurking beneath the surface of our hearts. We cannot bring it to Jesus. We want to be set free. We want to to live in, uh, in the full, abundant life. We want to thrive. We want to step into this life that that Jesus made possible. But friends, if we aren't willing to go and look at the sin and the worry and the pain and the yuckiness that's in our heart, right? we can't bring it to Jesus. And this problem is not a a 21st century problem. A guy by the name of Blaise Pascal wrote in the 1600s, he said this, 1600s, he said... All of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. In the 1600s. And so I was like, man, the 1600s, I was like, what did they do? And, and I read one article that said, when it wasn't illegal, they would enjoy going to see a play. <laughs> like, okay, that's fun. Um, uh, they would play chess or checkers. Um, and uh, some of the newest technology that came out are, you know, Blaze here. Uh, he, in, he created or invented the adding machine. Right? You know how, like, a lot of guys like getting the newest technology in their stocking or whatever, right? It's like, what do you do? Like, hey, Dad, I got you an adding machine. Oh, cool. I can't wait to add some stuff up. This is going to be great. Right? And they also have the barometer. I don't know what you do with a barometer. I suppose it would be fun. You stick it up on your wall and... Watch the pressure. I don't know. I don't know what you do, but it's super boring, right? All you have in the 1600s is aloneness with your thoughts. Uh, and so, but even then, right, it's a problem. We can't sit by ourselves. Man, mom's so distracted by the, the barometer. She's ignoring me. Mom, get off the barometer. Mom calls up the stairs. Jimmy, if you're on that adding machine again. We got set a limit, 15 minutes a day. Um, oh, my gosh. So, well, I've talked for about 15 minutes without using the Bible, so we're going to go ahead and uh, 
jump into that because actually this, this problem of distraction even existed before the 1600s, right? In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, God addresses the human propensity for distraction and for busyness. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, we see that God creates Sabbath. It's an, it's an invitation to a life that isn't dominated and distorted by overwork, right? Which is one form of, uh, of distraction. Jesus calls his followers to seek first the, the kingdom of heaven, right? There's a lot of stuff vying for your attention and for your love. Push that stuff aside. Seek first the kingdom. And then there is a word in our most modern translations that is uh, translated as distracted, and it only occurs in one story in the New Testament. And that is the relatively uh, familiar story of Mary and Martha. We've probably talked about this within the last couple months, so here we go. We're doing it again. So this is um, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. So most of the time we think of this story as if Mary was just so happy and, and gratefully learning uh, from the, the rabbi and, and, and Martha was worried and upset. And, and certainly we don't know exactly uh, what was going on in the, the hearts uh, of Mary and, and Martha. But what if she, just like Martha, was upset about many things? They were sisters. They're living in the same time, in the same house, dealing with the same stuff in in their world? I think there's a very real possibility that they were both struggling with pain, struggling with turmoil or difficulties in the spirit, in their spirit. And so if that's the case, if Mary and Martha are both struggling, they're both worried, they're both upset, they're both filled with sadness or depression or worry or fear or whatever, in the story we actually see two radically different ways of dealing with it. You can either run after distraction or you can run after Jesus. So we we all know Martha's distracted by all the preparations that, that had to be made, but we get that. Right? We, too, are busy people. We've got stuff going on in our lives. We've got jobs and kids and school and spouses and chores and bills to pay and, and exercise. We're making meals and grocery shopping and volunteering and etc. And just like this, just a never-ending list of, of things to do. 
But we have to wrestle through this idea that our, our stuff cannot keep us from being attentive to what God is saying and what God is doing. We've talked about the, the story of the, the monk, Brother Lawrence, who wrote uh, Practicing God's Presence and how he was attentive to God throughout the day, not just in his quiet, silent time, but while he's doing the dishes and while he's repairing the shoes and while he's doing all the, the work of the monastery, right? He learned how to be attentive to what God was doing. And this little word, distracted, in 1040, Luke 1040, it means to be pulled away by something. To be pulled away by something. And, and Brother Lawrence learned how not to allow the distractions and the busyness of life to pull him away. Me, I like the distractions and the busyness of life to pull me away. Sometimes moving towards Jesus can be painful. I have shame, right? And stuff, oh, I can't believe this is still happening, whatever it is, to bring that to Jesus or to, to bring my doubt or my worry or my fear to, to Jesus, to let him see my grossness. I don't want to do that. Let me just stay busy. But Mary was pulled away from Jesus. And I think she wasn't pulled away just by the busyness in the kitchen, but by the busyness that was in her heart. He didn't, he didn't rebuke Mary for being busy. She needed to, to do what she was doing. But he uh, rebuked her for what was going on in her heart. There's anger and, and kind of... Uh, dissenting or jealousy, all whatever it was, and it was revealed by her reaction of anger towards her sister. Jesus, tell her to come in here and help me. You're gonna, I got to do all this work by myself. And she thought she was like, I just need to do the right thing. We got to prepare the meal. She didn't realize that she was reacting out of her worry and her upsetness. And we do the same thing. When we don't address what is going on, when we don't address the, the pain in our, uh, in our hearts, right, it comes bubbling out. Last, last night, I was, uh, had to run an errand real quick and, and came back. And the house was clean. Amber got the house all clean because we had company yesterday. And uh, everything's clean. And, one of my kids came home and they just kind of threw their boots in the floor. And the anger, it, like I didn't clean the house. Like I didn't do anything. I was just like, what's wrong with these kids? I was like, and I was like, hmm, this seems like an, overre this seems like an overreaction to boots on the floor. Okay, God, what is going on? Right? When we don't deal with what is simmering below the surface, it's going to come out. I've told this story before. Uh, about 20, I don't know, 20 some years ago, Amber and I lived on F Avenue up in, up in Kalamazoo and uh, lived in this little old farmhouse with my mom and we had a friend, Herman, who would come over and play board games with us. And we used to play a lot, a, lot of, a lot of board games. Social media has really hindered our board game time. That's interesting. Anyway, uh, stick a pin in that. So, so, um, so we're playing Monopoly. Emma, our, and she's 21 now. She was six months or something. She's sitting here in the, in the 
high chair. We're playing Monopoly. And I don't remember what happened. I, I rolled something and I landed on one of the properties that Herman had a hotel on and, and he took all my money. And I lost it. Like, I like jumped up from the table and I stormed off. And I found myself, I was crying in the bathroom because I'd lost all my Monopoly money. Like, I am an absolute mess, right? That was 20 years ago. I'm probably way healthier now. Uh, you know, and, uh, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. And so as we uncovered, like, hey, is, is this not about the Monopoly money? Right? Oh, yeah, actually, I feel, you know, I revealed to thought, oh, I feel like I'm lost. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. I feel like I'm always the odd man out. I feel like I don't compare to, to this person or that person or oh, these other people have so much more. It was all this stuff, and it came out in Monopoly. Right? We have to deal with what's going on under the, in, in, inside of our hearts, what's happening under the surface. So we can run after distraction like Martha did, or we can run after Jesus. Right? Mary found herself at Jesus' feet, listening to him, sitting in his presence. And we think, like, oh, she's just having a great time. But maybe she's really struggling. And sitting there, it makes her have to deal with what's going on. And for so many of us, the best thing we can do is just to feel what we feel. To lean into Jesus and go, God, I'm so sad right now. This situation hurts me. God, I'm so worried. I'm so scared. And he doesn't, he's probably not going to, well, probably not going to fix it. Bad, I'm sorry. <laughs> you might fix it. <sighs> I don't know how to explain this. I'm off my notes. It's bad news. Like it, and it's not like we're like, God, I'm so scared. I'm so, I'm hurting right now. He's not always just going to be like, well, then I'm going to take that situation out. It's gone now. Okay. You know, it's like sometimes he's like, God, I'm right here. This hurts me too. But I'm not going to let you go. So we just bring it to him to lean into the pain. To let him heal us. Even if he doesn't fix it, he promises to heal us. And we know that we have an eternal hope that what we see on this side of eternity is not the end of the story. He will fix it. He is going to set all things right again. Maybe not in the exact timing that we want. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We need to do that. We need to bring it to him. And so I wanted to close with just maybe some practical steps that we can, can use to help us to, to learn to do this. Um, and the first one is 
the constant pastoral refrain of you need to have consistent quiet time with God. I'm sorry that that's again the case, but it is again the case. Right? There is a cost to following Jesus. And every one of us has stuff that will that fight for our time, that fight for our attention. But we need to, to discipline ourselves to do the to, to make the effort to find that five or fifteen minutes every morning just to be with God. To sit in silence, to to journal through our thoughts and our feelings, bringing them to the Lord, saying, hey, this is my stuff. And I did not love you with my whole heart this last week. I've not loved my, my neighbor as myself. God, I'm really sorry. But here it is. And we do this devotional not as a religious activity, but as a time to turn off distractions, to, to, to turn to Jesus, to, to learn to be attentive to Him so that we can carry that with us throughout the day. Jesus, it says in Luke chapter 5, often withdrew to lonely places. And Jesus was busy too. And some might say that what he had to do is more important than what you have to do. I don't know. Maybe not. You could let, we could talk about that. But Jesus is dealing with spiritual life and death. There's you know, there's the, the poor and, and the, the outsiders and the, 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 the lepers and the hurting and the, the outcasts, the, the, all these people that need him. But he found time to get away, to be with God. And if Jesus needs to do that, we need to do it. So just carve it out. Five, 15 minutes. Maybe if you need to set up some little electrical shock kind of a thing, that's an option. Maybe we could look into that. Don't do that. You can listen to music. I don't care what you do. I mean, I care. Obviously, I care what you do. Um, the second thing that we do, we can do is, and I got this from a book I got for Christmas called um, The Deeply Formed Life by Rich Velotis. And I actually was talking to Joe last week, and some of him and some friends of his have been doing it's called Lectio Divina. I think, is that how you pronounce it? How you, uh, Lectio Divina. It's a uh, Latin word, but it's a, just an old practice of slow Bible reading. Right? We, it's okay if you don't get through the whole Bible in a year. It's fine. It's more important that we allow the Word of God to penetrate us and to transform us. And so Lectio Divina is this old process and is four steps. You start by reading a short passage. And you're asking, Lord, what does it say? What does it say? You're looking for a word or a short phrase to, to jump out at you. And then once, once that happens, you move on to meditation. You kind of chew on that, that word or that short phrase, asking, God, what do, you, what do you want to say to me? Lord, what do you want to say to me? And then the third step is prayer, just to speak freely to God and Response, right? What do I want to say to God in response to this? And then finally is contemplation. Sit silently before God. Right? We say God has spoken. We've spoken. And now we just sit and allow Him to transform us. And this takes time. It takes energy. It's not nearly as fun as watching. I've been watching pitch meetings on, on YouTube. 
Don't start. There's over 200 of them, and they're all hilarious. Uh, pitch me, I'll share some with you on Facebook or something. Uh, so it's not as much fun as watching a funny YouTube video, right? But this is a life transforming. It's how we take on the character of Jesus so that we can be his disciples. We can bear witness of him. We can see our communities in our lives, in our families transformed. It allows us to step into the thriving life that Jesus has for us. So I encourage you guys this week, carve out time to sit quietly with Jesus, to bring him your pain, your worry, your doubt, and your fear, and allow him to minister to you. And allow him to work with you to process those emotions. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we thank you that you tore the veil. That in your life, death, and and resurrection, you made a way for us to draw near once again to the sustainer of all life. And Lord, we repent for how often and how quickly we run away from that source of life. Lord, we repent for how often we run to distractions of entertainment or work or whatever instead of coming to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to discipline ourselves, to sit with you, to bring our true selves, our real junk to you, to allow you to heal us, to make us more like you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this church. Thank you for the the friends and the family that we have right here, Lord, that we're in this together. We're not alone. Lord, I pray for just increased unity and love and encouragement and bearing with one another. Pray for just more forgiveness to flow in this place. Lord, we want to be a light in our community. We want to point to a better way. We want to live full, thriving, abundant lives so that people notice and they're drawn to you so that all can come to know you and bend their knee to you to increase. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.